The setting of a story is most important in writing. We are taught by the experts as writers to connect the setting of a story to the protagonist or the main character. In the story in John chapter 4, The Woman at the Well, the setting of this story is significantly connected to the protagonist, Jesus Christ. Welcome to Broken Vessels Podcast. This is episode number two of the Woman at the Well Bible Study. My name is Ruth Douthit, and I am a teacher of God's Word. It is one of my spiritual gifts, and I started this podcast for women out there who long to learn more about God's Word. So welcome. Lesson two, the well. Rivers and seas. In scripture, we often see rivers mentioned as well as the sea. In Revelation 22, verses 1 through 2, we find that there will be a river of life in the new Jerusalem. But in Revelation 20, we find that the sea will give up her dead, followed by Revelation 21, where we read there will be no more sea. Now, to the Jewish people, the sea meant work. It often meant the threat of an enemy attack and the possibility of a devastating storm. In the New Jerusalem, the Lord says the threat of the sea will be removed and there will be rest, along with no more storms, no more attacks from the enemy. And lastly, in the New Jerusalem, even our tears will be gone. In Revelation 21.4 it says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. So we find that in the New Jerusalem, we will still need water. We will not be like God without need for anything. We will still need light and water. But that water will be the river of life flowing eternally for us to see and drink from always. No more salty, undrinkable water from the sea or even from our tears. John 4 verse 5. He came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. That is the setting of our story. Sychar is also translated as Shechem or Shalem. In Genesis 12, 6-9, it says, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. In Genesis 16, 13-16 it says, So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Be'er Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Baret. In Genesis 33, 18-20, it says, And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Padan Aram, and he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, He bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. There he erected an altar and called it El Elohei Israel. 
In Genesis 48, verses 21 through 22, it says, Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you, rather than to your brothers, one mountain slope that I took from the land of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. And in Genesis 24, verse 62, it says, Now Isaac had returned from Be'er Lahai Roy and was dwelling in Negeb. El Elohe Israel means God, the God of Israel. And Be'er Lahai Roy means the well of the one who lives and sees me. As I mentioned before, the setting of a story is most important. In writing, we are taught to connect the setting of a story to the protagonist or main character. This part of the writing process comes from centuries of writing instruction. But one can easily see how God himself, as we see in his word, often connects the setting of his story to all his main characters, even Jesus himself. The setting of this story, a well in Samaria. Now this isn't any old well in town. No, this well has significance, as we see in the book of Genesis. This is the well where Jesus sits and waits for this Gentile woman, his Gentile bride, to come to him. Now, wells were very important in Scripture. They symbolized the presence of God himself. He had provided water for them in the dry desert land. Wells were where grooms often met their brides. In Genesis chapter 24, we see this is where Isaac met his bride at the well. And in Genesis 29... This is where Jacob met Rachel, at a well. Now we find Jesus is about to do the same thing. In Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13, this is where Jesus talks about, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. He talks about the importance of being ready for the bridegroom. Jesus is our bridegroom. The scene is almost completely set now. This plot of land was where Abimelech was made king. It's where Jeroboam's royal seat was and where Jacob's well was. Obviously, the land of Samaria is very important to our God. At the time of Jesus, however, it was not important to the Jewish people. The hatred between the Jews and Samaritans went back to the days of the exile. Samaria was the region between Judea and Galilee. When the northern kingdom was exiled to Assyria, King Sargon of Assyria repopulated the area with captives from other lands. The intermarriage of these foreigners and Jews who had been left in the land complicated the ancestry of the Samaritans. The Jews hated the Samaritans and no longer considered them to be pure Jews. Jesus, however, had no such bias. This is the commentary from the Nelson Study Bible of 2 Kings chapter 17. John chapter 4, verse 6. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being weary from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Here we see the humanity of Christ. Wearied from his journey, he needed to sit down. He needed to rest. We also see the time of this event, the sixth hour. Most Bibles translate this to be noon when the sun is at its highest peak. Jesus rested at Jacob's well, a well of remembrance, Be'er Lahai Roy. This is also where Abraham built an altar in Genesis 12. 
Jacob also erected an altar near here too in Genesis chapter 33. He called the altar El Elohe Israel, God, the God of Israel. Jesus, the Son of God, the Bridegroom, and God in the flesh appearing to his people, the promise of God, sits at this significant site to wait for a Gentile woman about to become a Bride of Christ. This is where in our study we take all that we've learned so far and apply it to our lives. Now notice that it was noontime. Why was Jesus sitting and waiting at this hour for a woman to come to the well? In Genesis 24 we read that evening time was the time when women came to draw water. That makes more sense. The sun is lower in the sky and would cast shadows over the well. So the water inside would be cooler at that time of the day. And perhaps the women would socialize at the famous well. Or the women came in the earliest part of the day, like with Jacob and Rachel, when the water was cool from the night before. But we'll find out why the time of day is significant later on in the study. I just want you to start thinking about that now. Also, by seeing the humanity of Jesus, we are convicted with the fact that he did not give in to his earthly needs or desires. He was weary, yet did he go to sleep? Was he so impatient to fulfill his thirst that he drew his own water? I mean, he is God in flesh. He could have ordered the water to rise up and meet him where he stood. Yet he didn't. He waited. In Matthew 8, verses 24, we read about how the wind and the waves obeyed Jesus. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. They came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. How many of us are ruled by our own desires, to the point of disobeying and rushing into things without waiting for the Lord to meet us there? I know I do it all the time, with regret. Yet, we can learn from Jesus not to be ruled by our lusts, our desires, our needs for material things, food, or people. His disciples were pragmatic. They went to retrieve food. But Jesus stayed behind for another reason. And that is why we turn to Christ. He was 100% man, yet 100% God, and 100% perfect. Jesus had hunger and fatigue and was even sometimes ignorant of fact at times, we see in Luke chapter 8. He had sorrow, as we see in Luke chapter 22 and in John chapter 11. And we know that he felt pain. He was also tempted as we found out in Matthew chapter 4. And who tempted Jesus? Satan himself. Why wasn't Jesus tempted earlier in his walk in the wilderness? Why was he tempted at the very end when he had a lot of hunger and fatigue? Well, we find out in Hebrews chapter 2, chapter 4, and chapter 5, it's because Jesus had passed the tests of temptation, so that now we can go to him, confident that he is the helper we need to sustain us for eternity. In John chapter 5 verse 19 and verses 30 we learn, Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son of God can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. I can myself do nothing, as I hear I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Lesson 3. The Water Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden. 
Genesis 2, verse 10. I love to garden, so this verse really speaks to me about who God is. He is the master gardener. I can only imagine what the Garden of Eden looked like when the earth knew no sin. When we went to Hawaii for our 25th wedding anniversary, we observed beauty unlike anything we had seen before because we come from the desert. The greens there were amazingly vivid. The flowers were spectacular in color and the ocean water was crystal clear. And that's with sin in the world. Can you imagine what it would have looked like with no sin in the world? Imagine the Garden of Eden in a perfect world where roses had no thorns and flowers bloomed constantly. Just think of the smells, fresh and clean without pollution. I find it wonderful that our Lord starts off his book of redemption with a river watering his garden. In Genesis 2.10 it says, And from there it, the river, parted and became four river heads. Here we see the purpose of the rivers was to divide land. And you see this throughout scripture. Since Jesus symbolized, as the Holy Spirit, that the living water, or water of life, is salvation, or the gospel message, we can see that in scripture, this message does divide. We see in the book of Hebrews 4 and in Luke chapter 8, it divides bone and marrow. It divides family apart. When you became a Christian, did you lose friends? Did you lose family members? When you came to know Jesus as your Savior? Did it affect your relationships with family members when you became a Christian? The name of Jesus is powerful. In Philippians 2, we see Paul saying that pretty soon every person will bow and confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Jesus, like a river cutting through the land, does divide and separate us from the unsaved people of this world. He called us into perfection and holiness as he is holy. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4, 7-8, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. John 4, 7-8 A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The stage is set, the scene is prepared, and the players are all in place. Jesus, the promise of God, God in the flesh, the bridegroom, sits at the well of Jacob. The Samaritan woman, who is not named here, perhaps because her earthly name is not needed, for she is about to become a new creation in Christ, and the disciples. They have followed their desires and needs of the flesh. They have pragmatically gone to buy food to satisfy their hunger and need. And look at what they have missed. If only they had been more patient like Jesus. If only we were more patient like Jesus. Imagine all that we have missed just by giving in to our earthly desires and needs. In Ezekiel 16, 51-59, it says about Samaria, Samaria has not committed half your sins. You have committed more abominations than they, and have made your sisters appear righteous by all the abominations that you have committed. Bear your disgrace, you also, for you have intervened on behalf of your sisters, because of your sins in which you acted more abominably than they, they are more in the right than you. So be ashamed, you also, and bear your disgrace, for you have made your sisters appear righteous. God here explains why he is about to restore Samaria. 
in verse 53, I will restore their fortunes, both the fortunes of Sodom and her daughters, and the fortunes of Samaria and her daughters, and I will restore your fortunes in their midst, that you may bear your disgrace and be ashamed of all that you have done, becoming a consolation to them. As for your sisters, Sodom and her daughters shall return to their former state, and Samaria and her daughters shall return to their former state. You and your daughters shall return to your former state. The woman came to draw water from the well herself. She had no servants. Why? Was she poor? And she came at noon, which is an unusual time of day for women to draw water, as we looked at in Genesis 24. And in Exodus 2, we see that women came to draw water sometimes to socialize. They came early in the morning or in the evening, and sometimes they came to the well to meet their bridegroom. Perhaps this woman was ashamed and did not want to see other women? Yet our Lord knew she would come at this time and not at evening time. That's the providence of God. Jesus was alone. He had walked a long way. He was weary. His disciples went to buy food. But Jesus knew that water is more important than food. The human body can live without food for weeks, but only a few days without water. He has a different food that sustains him. Remember what he said in Matthew 4? Man does not live by food alone, by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We need water. I have seen inside the human body, and it consists of blood and water. Blood is actually made up of water. We are made up of water. 60% of the human body is water. So basically, inside your body is organ soup. Your organs are floating around in water. The functions of water in the body include it moistens tissues, regulates body temperature, it lubricates joints, it protects body organs, it helps dissolve minerals and nutrients needed for survival during digestion, lessens the burden on the kidneys and liver by flushing out waste toxins, transports oxygen and nutrients to all the cells in the body. Water is important. As a runner, I completely understand the importance of water to the human body. Nothing stops a runner faster than dehydration. It can kill you. I live in the desert. Thirst is a powerful thing out here. It can drive you forward toward that water source or completely paralyze you and keep you from that water source, that source of life. Concerning the woman, Jesus focused on her needs ahead of his own needs and the needs of the town. Their time would come. But first, Jesus centered on the woman at the well. Finally, Jesus lowered himself to speak to this woman. He appeared without servants to do his work for him. She would see him as a first century Jewish traveler. That's important for us to realize how Jesus appeared to those around him. Paul wrote in Philippians 2 verses 5 through 9, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, a bondservant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Life Application because we see Jesus condescending to the poor Samaritan woman by speaking to her, we are reminded of how Jesus lowered himself to come to us and speak. He knew what she needed even before he met her. 
Jesus came to us while we were yet sinners, we're told in Romans 5, and he saved us from his wrath. Because like the Samaritan woman, we were unclean. We were his enemies. And he saved us by his blood. He washes us with the living water and saved us from death. We rejoice because of this reconciliation. How many of us feel as though we are not worthy of Christ's time? Our past carries with it so many scars, too many sinful acts that have us convinced that Jesus cannot possibly ever forgive us or repair us, yet alone use us for his goodwill. But this is a lie. Believing this lie is a sin unto itself because this thought takes the power away from Jesus and what he did. Although he was 100% man, he is 100% God. In Revelation 1 verses 17 through 18, Jesus is described with having the power as creator. He said, for I am the first and the last. He has the power to conquer death. He who died and was dead rose again. He has the power to be eternal. He said, and behold, I am alive evermore. And then he has the power to judge because he said, I have the keys of Hades and death. So who are we to question God and say that he's not powerful enough to forgive us of our sins? In 1 John, it says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins once and for all. So yes, ladies, he is powerful enough to forgive you and wash you clean with that living water, clean from all your sins that you have committed. He can forgive you and repair you and use you for his good pleasure. I know because I, like the Samaritan woman, am a broken vessel mended by God. I hope you have learned something new about Jesus in today's lessons. I hope that you can take away from this study that the Lord called you came to meet you where you are and spoke to you for a reason. Like the Samaritan woman, we did not seek out Jesus. He sat and waited for us and called us to himself. In John chapter 6, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And then in Philippians 2, Paul said that it is Christ who works in us. Yes, ladies. You can be repaired and used by a living God who loves you desperately. I hope you enjoyed today's lessons. We learned about the significance of the well where Jesus waited. We learned about the significance of the water within that well and what it means to the human body. But Jesus is going to give her an even better water a water that will save her for eternity. What did you learn this week about God and who you are in Christ Jesus? Be sure to leave me a comment. I'd love to hear that. So keep being in God's word. And until next time, God bless.